Um, good morning, everyone. Um, so the reading for today is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, and Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34, and I'm Kendra. Um, so Luke chapter 11. Uh, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich young man, sorry, rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, but they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell to you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The word of the Lord. When Julie and I first got married, you know, we were like many young couples who were trying to build our home as we grew our family. But we were doing that as two graduate students at the same time. We moved into this older home uh, with the, whatever furniture we had, and we expected to upgrade appliances and furniture over time as much as we could afford to. So one day, we responded to a warehouse club invitation that offered wholesale pricing on f furniture and appliances. 
So after we went to the sales presentation, we were wowed. Wow, we could get to see all these catalogs that the retailers get to see, and we get to pay the wholesale pricing. That privilege, though, came with a pretty hefty upfront membership fee. So being young and naive, we bought into this high-pressure sales tactic that says, you, this offer is only available today, and if you leave, you cannot come back and obtain this deal. So Julie and I sat there in the showroom and thinking about how we really probably couldn't afford this membership fee in our budget, but maybe this was God's way of providing for us. I remember sitting, talking with one another. It's like, well, we're not sure we can afford this, but what should we do? So I put my super spiritual hat on and says, let's pray right now and see if God has anything to say about it. So we prayed, seeking God's direction, and we said amen, and we looked at one another, and we said, did you hear anything? It's like, no. <laughs> did you hear anything? No. Well, I didn't hear God say no, so maybe it's okay. <laughs> now, I know that none of us ever do that, right? We began, so we went ahead with it and began five stressful years of trying to buy more stuff to make up for the membership fee that we paid. None of us has ever, you know, asked God to bless a financial decision that we've already made in our hearts, right? And none of us have ever made a poor financial decision. Today, you know, we continue our Luke sermon series, turning to chapter 12, that follows Jesus' teaching on prayer in chapter 11. And I'd like to us to consider what Jesus has to say about prayer and our possessions. Luke notes how Jesus is always praying. So if you go to the next slide, especially at significant moments in his ministry. Verse after verse, peppered throughout Luke, he likes to point out, Jesus went to pray before this happened. Jesus went to pray, then this happened. Jesus went to pray, then this happened. In fact, Jesus was praying, as Kendra read for us, in chapter 11, he's praying by himself when the teachers come to ask him, how do you teach us to pray? But even the Lord's Prayer, if you look at think about it, reflects a view towards the world we live in and how it relates to God's kingdom. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. The Lord's Prayer reflects this connection between stewardship of our possessions and this struggle of temptation. And in chapter 12, Jesus addresses this relationship with our possessions. So we're going to walk through this relationship in three phases, three comparisons. Life versus rights, person versus possessions, and treasure versus treasures. Life versus rights, per person versus possessions, treasure versus treasures. So this scene, we're told, takes place when Jesus is teaching to a massive crowd. Verse 1 tells us there are many thousands of people who have gathered to hear and see Jesus teach. And amongst this crowd, a man walks up to Jesus in front of everybody and says, what? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The man comes to Jesus with a question of his rights. There appears to be some conflict over an inheritance between this man and his brother. In ancient times, the older brother would receive double the amount of inheritance than the, the other siblings. 
So this man is probably the younger one. He's saying, I feel like I should deserve more. So Jesus, tell my brother to split it more fairly. He feels entitled to more than what the law or a tradition would give to him. But Jesus doesn't step into that battle because he knows this battle isn't really about property rights, but it's over covetousness and greed in this man's heart. That's why he responds saying, man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Jesus points out that what, li- what life is really about. It's not about the abundance of possessions, but it's about the kind of life that you are seeking. In, for- in fact, the word life shows up multiple times in this chapter, three times in these few verses alone and another couple times in the next section that we're going to look at. The man comes to Jesus for counsel on how to get more stuff, kind of like we prayed at the beginning in that story. And Jesus answers with this parable about a rich fool. And this fool is so focused on gathering more and more stuff so that he can, what Jesus says, take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. This character, this inclination, seems to be the ancient predecessor for what is called in our modern day, the fire movement. Fire which means financially independent, retire early. It seems like a wise tactic for life. Work hard at the beginning, live frugally, save and invest aggressively, and build a nest egg for yourself. Maybe build a side hustle and passive income so that you don't have to work for your money anymore, so you can live your best life a lot earlier than you ever expected. We think that's living the good life. We think that after decades of working in our careers, that after saving and living frugally, that's what life is meant to be. That's our right to have a successful, after a successful career. Maybe we're not as driven with financially independent retire early. We just count the days to our full pension and then think after that date, I can cut off and go travel and enjoy life. Just something we can all do. But Jesus challenges this ideal of life even 2,000 years ago. Life really isn't about our possessions and enjoying life, eating, drinking, and being merry. Life is really about something else. Jesus critiques this abundant personal accumulation, especially at the expense of others and the world around us and of being rich towards God. He calls this foolishness. And with this critique, he points out how wealth and comfort has a seductive tendency to, towards, that leads us towards complacency, towards self-sufficiency, and towards covetousness. All things that don't reflect this image of God that we are made to be. These are things that appear to promise life to us, but they actually steal life from us, true life from us. Buying more stuff, accumulating more stuff, managing more stuff. It doesn't have to be material goods, though. It can be accumulating more experience and more memories. We think all of these will lead to a greater enjoyment of life. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to own possessions or to gain experiences or to seek and gather memories. 
But Jesus' parable here unearths this covetous and self-sufficient temptation that is easily found in all of us. What we own and what we seek to own often reflects the treasures in our heart. And that's why Jesus ends this parable saying, uh, verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. What do you possess as you think about? Maybe you don't think you have a lot. What do you seek to possess? And what does that say about what you treasure? What do you feel entitled to? And what is really life? After addressing this man's question about his inheritance conflict, Jesus turns from this crowd that's before him and talks to his disciples specifically about our relationship with our possessions. What does he say? Food is necessary. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body and what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Clothing is necessary, food is necessary, but don't live as if those things are the most important things. I know some of us really appreciate fashion or good food and and good wine, but the point is don't live as if your life and your status depend on it. Sometimes something else is much more important. Jesus, again, shifts the focus from the possessions themselves to what's going on in the life of the person, addressing the underlying worry and the anxiety. In ancient times, most people lived in an agrarian and subsistence-based economy. That means they only had got enough for the next day or the next two days. They didn't have, uh, and usually is the, the man in the household who is the sole breadwinner of the home. And if they lost the source of income, it would be devastating to the family because of the lack of social support systems. There was no social security. There was no Medicaid. There was no Costco to make bulk food runs. There was no refrigeration for you to keep more than a day's worth of food. Loss here would mean instant destitution and homelessness, forcing a person to be dependent on the benevolence of others. Jesus' hearers were worried about that, that kind of life, the next day. They weren't people who were worried about when they would get to renew their new smartphone or when their lease was up on their EV to buy a new one or when the next time that they could take a really nice vacation to fill their Instagram feed with. But anxiety and worry still are things that we all experience in our day. Our culture is built on anxiety. It fuels our society. Advertising drives it by telling you the things that you're missing in your life to be happy. The media tells you the, that all these things that cause us anxiety because of safety in the city. The economy is not doing as well. Your investments are going down. Climate change is irreversible. And, the, and reporting on supporters of the other political party that are destroying our society and destroying our nation. But how does Jesus speak to our worries? Jesus gives this command to not live a life of worry in verse 22. What's his basis for living a life, not living a life of worry? 
It comes in the following three verses, 22, 23, and 24. Don't be anxious, he says. Why? Number one, God's got you. Verse 23, life is more than food and clothing, more than possessions and stuff, and God will take care of you. Secondly, God values you. Verse 24, how much more are you, a value are you than the birds and the ravens that flutter about around you, than the blossoms that are blooming that are stopping you from getting to church on time? They're taken care of. They're beautiful. How much more value, or extraordinarily more value to God than all other creatures in the earth? Third, God, well, God God's got you, God values you, and third, God is in control. Verse 25, how many of us can add a single hour to our life? No one has any control to do that. You can diet, you can exercise, you can take supplements, you can get consultants, but none of us can really add a single hour to our life. Only God is in control of that. We succumb to our worries because we don't really believe that God has got us or that God values us. And most of the time we live our lives as if God is not really in control. We doubt God really cares about us. So we take matters into our own hands, especially when it's in difficult or unexpected situations. We don't really think God is in control, and we'd rather keep our hands on the steering wheel of the car that is our life. That's why we worry about our lives and about our stuff. Jesus is saying life is more than the abundance of possessions. Life is about your personhood. So don't worry about your material possessions. We can have them. We can earn them. We can accumulate them. But we don't need to be controlled by them. Our lives don't have to be controlled by acquiring more things, by saving more things, by managing more things. We don't have to compare our careers and our resumes with those of our neighbors because that just adds to our worry when we don't believe that God's got us, that God values us more than any other creature, and that God really is in control. Because if we get that, we have a different relationship with our possessions. Because God's got us, because God values us, because God is in control, we can be generous with what God has given and entrusted to us. If we really believe that God cares for us as his children, then we can use what God gives us to generously care for those around us. Trusting God frees us to give of our resources, our time, our talent, our, and our resources, and our money even, to share with those who are in need. Now, I don't know about you, but I think, for myself at least, I'm more generous than I actually am. And one really good way and humbling way to do a self-check is to see how much, is to review how much you spend. If you were to look at your spending, how much of that goes towards people and helping others versus accumulating more stuff? There's just, you know, a standard kind of budget guideline here. You know, as tax deadline approaches... It's a great opportunity to review for yourself in a very tangible way. Every time, each year, I, pre I, I prepare my tax return. 
there's a moment when I've entered in all my donation receipts, and those are the things that you can actually count, right? And I say, will this actually add up to my goal, our goal together, at least 10% of our gross income? And did our giving, did that number exceed our giving from the previous year? And that's kind of scary. It's like, oh. Now, each of us has to consider our financial situation. And of course, you know, donation, it's not about the percentage. That's just an indicator of, that puts real numbers on whether what we say we value is actually what we value. And just donation receipts make it easy to account for the giving. If you're not already following a budget, maybe it's a good time to set a goal for how much you want to give away in this coming year that reflects your value for others versus accumulating more for yourself. Maybe if you're not used to giving regularly, it's just starting to give a couple percent. Maybe you're used to giving five. Maybe it's giving a few more, six or seven. Maybe you're used to giving 10. Now it's 11 or 12. Maybe you're used to giving 15 or 20. And you can ask God, how does what I give reflect the treasure in my heart and the richness towards you? The point is not the percentage. The point is who's in control and who do we trust? Because ultimately what we do with our money reflects what we really treasure in our lives. So how does the way we live our lives and the way we relate to our possessions say, what does that say about our treasures? Jesus continues. Okay. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Verse 32, and a bit further on. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus concludes this teaching as, with a reminder on where our treasure really lies. Does it lie in the treasures of this world or in the treasures in heaven? Now, if you've been kind of in church culture for a while, those kind of just roll off the tongue. Treasures in heaven, treasures on earth. We might even sing a song about it. But pause for a moment and take yourself out of that church culture and you think, what do those actually mean? Treasures of earth or treasures of this world, that's pretty easy, right? Our stuff, our clothing, our houses, our uh, toys, our hobbies, our bank accounts, our careers, our experiences, our photo albums, all this stuff that you can't take with you after you die. But what is this treasure in heaven that Jesus speaks of? Recall the story that I started off the message today with, you know, Julie and I praying at the warehouse club. I realized that looking back now, our treasure was control. Our treasure was getting a good deal on stuff. Yes, we sincerely did pray. I, I, I'm pretty sure we were sincerely praying in that showroom there. We were sincerely wanting to trust God. But really, at the heart of it, was our treasure was more stuff and how to get more of it. Our worry was that whether we would uh, have enough or whether we would be able to have enough to have a nice home. And over the years, I've come to realize that treasure in heaven isn't just valuing some conceptual eternal thing over material things. It's not even valuing churchy things over non-churchy things. It's not even just seeking to be a good person or being a 
in, in healthy relationships with others. Those are all wonderful. Those are all things that we should seek to do. But they can also be done out of self-interest. We can do all of those things, saying it's for others, saying it's for God, but really it's about us feeling good about ourselves. To believe ourselves to be more faithful or responsible or moral or more upright. But what's going on there? That still means that we're seeking these treasures for ourselves. At the end of the day, the treasure in heaven is the treasure of heaven. The treasure in heaven is the treasure of heaven. The living God, Jesus the Christ. And that brings us back to the role of prayer and its relationship to our possessions. You know, in our previous month, uh, we did a series on the prayer practice. And there we learned that prayer isn't only about getting stuff from God. It's not about getting God to do what we hope God to do. Prayer, uh, and God, and, and prayer isn't just about helping us to become better human beings. Prayer in Christian spirituality is really about simply getting God. Prayer is about being with God. And as we learn in that series, prayer is looking at God, looking at you in love. Because in prayer, prayer unearths the treasure that God is to behold. And prayer is this process through which God becomes our treasure, especially when we contemplate God through the life and the ministry of Jesus, God's Son. You know, in prayer and in God's loving presence, our worries and our anxieties decrease. And our yielded trust in God increases. It's not because of the praying, but because of the one that we pray to. Our desires, our values are transformed in God's presence. Our longings are reshaped in the presence of the Almighty God. What we think is important and what we think is vital, what we think we're entitled to in life, that all changes in God's presence. The God of love looking at us. All of that disappears in the presence of a holy and loving God. See, God's holiness and perfection remind us of how imperfect, how selfish, and how unworthy we are for all the things we think we deserve in life. But God's love and grace pouring out on us remind us that we are provided for, that we are valued, and that God is in control. How do we know these things? God's holiness and God's love are ultimately revealed in the generous and gracious work of Jesus, especially on the cross. Jesus is the one who has no home to lay his head. Jesus is the one who gives of himself and who yields himself to the will of the Father to share what he has with the world. So the invitation to us is, look to Jesus. Behold Jesus for God's sake, not for your sake. In him is this life that eclipses all the things that we think we deserve in life. In him is the person who is of greater value than any material possession this world can offer. And in him is this treasure of all treasures. Look to Jesus, the treasure of heaven, the treasure of heaven, and trust him. Do not worry, for where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also.